know, one of the things that I really enjoy about our church and that I think is um, something we need to point out from time to time is that uh, one of the things that our pastors have determined to do is that we're not going to be about the show or the presentation. And um, we believe that um, God works in the ordinary, right? And, um, and I think a lot of times in our culture, people are always looking for that next thing and that itching ears and the next teaching moment and, uh, you know, the next new truth that might be out there or the, an emotional experience. And uh, to me, um, I want to commend you for being in church on a Sunday morning. There's a hundred other things that you could be doing. And, um, you know, my wife, she makes a lot of meals. Uh, some of them are really good and um, some of them are meals, you know. And, uh, but I need to eat every one of those meals if I'm going to stay healthy, right? And that's why we come to church. Even on a Sunday where uh, it's uh, overcast out and it's raining, um, I think Vance Havner once said it takes 90, uh, 90 gallons of water to baptize somebody and nine drops of water to keep them out of church, right? And so um, there's a lot of things that prevent us from being in the Lord's house, but I just want to commend you for being here today. And I think it goes hand in hand with our message that we find in James chapter 1, 22 through 27. And I know we looked at this passage a few weeks ago, but there's really so much there that we could probably spend several weeks just in this one text. And I think it goes to the, uh, the idea and the principle that, that God works through us in the ordinary moments of life. And ultimately, we find that as followers of Jesus Christ, you know, God's not looking for the next Billy Graham or the next D.L. Moody or uh, the next William Carey. Uh, God is looking for ordinary people that are willing just to obey his word. And ultimately, what sets us apart as disciples of Jesus Christ and those who know and love and follow Jesus is ultimately our obedience to and our adherence to the Word of God. And that's why every week, one of us comes up to the pulpit and we open the Bible and we take time to walk through a particular passage of Scripture so that we can explain what that passage of Scripture means for your life. Now, during the last several weeks, we've been discussing what it means to be a neighbor, how to, how to neighbor. What does that look like? Well, back in Luke chapter 10, the, verse, the first passage that we started in, we find that uh, there was a, a lawyer that was trying to question Jesus, and he says, how do I inherit eternal life? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, He goes, go do this and you will live. And what we find in this passage of scripture is a religious leader asking Jesus what he might do to to gain eternal life or to to be in favor with God. And Jesus asks this man, what's in the law? And he tells him the the verses that we just read there. And the the religious leader says, love the Lord your God just as you and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And wanting to justify himself in that text, and I know I'm reviewing here for a moment, Wanting to justify himself, he asks. He asks this question. And I think we need to remind ourselves of this. And he asks the question, who is my neighbor? Who is the person that I'm supposed to love as I love myself? And over the last several weeks, we've talked about our prejudice. And oftentimes, we step into spaces or into moments or in a particular context with a, with a set of prejudices towards those who may be different from us. We talked about orphans and foster care. We talked about last week empowering the poor. And so Jesus asked this man, who is my neighbor? And he answers with a story about a man who had been beaten, robbed, and left to die. 
and a priest and a Levi, religious men, passed onto the other side to avoid this man's situation. And I hope, I hope over the last several weeks that that hasn't been your story. That when you've seen people that are in need, that, you're, that are your neighbors, you don't cross to the other side of the road, but you gladly, in an ordinary, uh, organic way, are stepping into those spaces to show the love of Jesus Christ. Because see, a good neighbor, and you may jot this down this morning, a good neighbor is seeking to walk in the ways of Jesus. I mean, it's super easy to think about that, because what we try to do is we try to complicate the scriptures, and we try to complicate what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And simply put, for those of us who are living, are seeking to live out our faith, we're simply trying to live out and walk in the ways of Jesus Christ. Meaning that we have a faith that is genuine. It's the real thing. We have a faith that is authentic. It's not a counterfeit. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, and what we find in our text today, and we're going to unpack this a little bit more this morning, is as a follower of Christ, we seek to align our hearts, our lives, and our minds with the Word of God. We seek to align our lives with that. We take risks to love the marginalized and the forgotten. We love the unlovely. We seek to serve the least of these. And Jesus teaches us that disciples are known for their love of their neighbors, and we are aware of the needs in their life so that we can minister to them. I want to just ask you this morning, are you aware of your neighbors? Are you aware of their needs? Are you Are you open to stepping into some spaces that might be a little risky? Are you open to stepping into some spaces that are going to require you to have some or to exercise some faith in your life so that you can be obedient to the word of God? And in our text this morning, Mike read this in verse number 22, James reminds us of the same exact truth. Because, I mean, if, if if we get down to where the rubber meets the road, and really, that's what the book of James is all about truly living out our faith in a way that is visible for the lost world around us to see. And ultimately, if you know and love Jesus, you're going to have a heart and you're going to have a desire that wants to obey the Word of God. And from your whole person, you're going to want every area of your life to be impacted by the Word of God so that your life can impact the ones that are around you. So James reminds us of this truth, because religion doesn't save a man, and it doesn't serve our neighbors from a loving heart. Followers of Jesus align their lives with the ways and the words of Christ, and James reminds us what it looks like in the life of those who desire to love the lonely. And the first thing that James says in this passage of Scripture is, don't just look intently, persevere in the Word of God. And I want to be very brief on this, because we talked a little bit about it a few weeks ago, but James says, it's, it's possible to look intently at the word and walk away the same. In verse 22, I want to read this. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so often, I want, to, I, want to just, I want to land on this, and I want this to resonate with us for a moment, but how often do we walk into a church service, or we open the word of God, and we, we look into the word of God, and we know the word of God, and, and we can probably articulate the word of God to someone else, but it has no impact on our lives. It has no impact on our souls, and it, it hasn't changed us. It hasn't transformed us. It hasn't, it hasn't allowed us to love the way that Jesus would love. 
And this is exactly what James is saying. He says, listen, I don't, I don't want you to be deceived because you can know the word of God and not have a heart and life that's been transformed by the word of God. And, and if, you, if you think just knowing is enough, listen to what he says. If knowing is just enough, you've deceived yourselves. You've deceived yourselves. So I want to ask you this morning very simply as we kind of step into this message today, but when was the last time that you opened the Word of God? Or when was the last time that you sat under the Word of God and it just it gripped your heart? Like you just felt compelled that, hey, my life isn't aligned with the Word of God. My life isn't, isn't, isn't congruent with what Jesus is asking me to do. And so to look intently means to to give careful consideration. And he says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who, who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror and he looks at himself and he goes away and, and, and at once forgets what he was like. And the miraculous thing about the word of God is that you and I can sit under the preaching of the word of God and we can open the word in our own time and we can look into it and we can see how disheveled our life is. Can I get an amen on that? It shows us how broken we are and how messed up we are and how much hope we need. And it points us to the one who has all the hope that we require for our lives. And his name is Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you, it'd be really crazy this morning. Like, wouldn't it be crazy this morning if um, I got up today and uh, I just stepped out of bed. And in our, in our bedroom, we have this, this mirror. And it's, it's, it's a huge mirror. It's almost floor-to-ceiling mirror that we have. And it's a wide mirror. Uh, for the times when I put on a little extra, you know what I'm saying? And so that I can get the full figure in there. Can I get an amen on that, all right? You guys with me? It'd be crazy if I got up this morning, I stepped in, I looked at that mirror, and I was like, well, that's messed up. And instead of going into the bathroom, brushing my teeth, combing my hair, shaving, taking a shower, and cleaning up, I just came to church this morning the way that I woke up when I walked, or when I stepped out of bed this morning. Like, you guys would be like, Pastor Jay's crazy. Crazy. Why would he do that? And I know it's not much better or much more of an improvement what you see on the platform today, but I'm doing the best I can with what I've got. The point is this. It's crazy for us to have the divine opportunity to hear the word of God, to look into the word of God, to sit under the preaching of the word of God and see the brokenness that we have in our lives at a heart level and never change, to never be transformed by the Word of God. And it amazes me how many followers of Christ come to church week in and week out, and they, they gossip, or they don't love the way that Jesus loves, or they don't, they don't live their life from a disposition of forgiveness, and they, they have no concern for their neighbors or for the lost or for those that are in need and for those that are the least of these. God, help us to not be a church that doesn't change and is transformed by the word of God. Because if we're really, truly going to make a difference in this world, it will be when the church visibly is being transformed by the word of God. We're not a perfect people, but James is saying that we're a people that are in progress. So to look intently means to give careful consideration, to be concerned, to understand completely. And James is contrasting, and that's what he's saying. In verse number 22, and I know I'm kind of... uh, uh, expounding this text here just a little bit more than normal, but he says, he says, be doers, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you're a hearer and a doer, you look intently at his natural face in the mirror. He looks 
at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, that's the word of God, the law of liberty, the, the word that sets us free. And the Bible says he perseveres. That means that, that we look at it, you know, that's what James is saying. It's so clear in this text. You can know the Bible and not be a different person. Are you guys with me on that today? You can know it and be deceiving yourselves because you're not applying it and obeying it in your life. But James says the one that will be set free, the one that will be pleasing to God, the one that will love the lonely will be the man or woman who perseveres in the word of God. And so he illustrates two approaches that we have. One is look intently and ignore what we see. Some of you do that. I know I do that from sometimes. I know I can sit under the preaching of the Word of God or read the Bible, and I, I know it. I know what God wants from me. I know what Jesus is saying to me. I know the ways of God, and I ignore what I'm seeing and hearing with my heart and with my mind. And I walk away no different. And then James says there's another response, and that's to persevere and implement what needs to change. And so I want to ask you this morning, man, like what is your approach to the Word of God? Are you here this morning with an open heart, with a desire to obey God, to not just know His Word, but to allow it to take root in your life in such a way that it impacts the very person that you are, and and then uh, you're being used now as a conduit to make a difference in the lives of other people. A.W. Tozer once said that new worlds will arise out of the religious myths when we approach the, Bi- the Bible, not as a book that was once spoken, but, but as a book which is now speaking. Uh, my daughter loves to read. Ellie reads like crazy. She's on a first-name basis with the librarians at uh, the Piatone Library. And when she walks in, it's kind of like that old sitcom Cheers when Norm would walk in. They're like, Norm, you know? When they walk in, it's kind of like that for her. And, and she knows where all the books are in the library. In fact, she does something strange. She goes and she'll read a book, and then she'll go back and check it out again and read it over again. I don't know that I've ever done that. A couple books, maybe for reference, but to go back and read a story that I've read again, but I'm going to tell you, I can do that with the Word of God. Because every time I do it, something supernaturally happens in my life. Because the Holy Spirit resides in my life, and I learn something new. I find out something new, and He helps me to live my life, and He gives me hope, and He gives me encouragement, and He enables me to do what He has called me to do. And so I want to just ask you this morning, and I'm asking myself, and so I'll put it in the first person, are there things that I'm struggling to give up that are hindering my relationship to the Word of God? TV, social media, other pursuits? We give so little time to the Word of God. It's amazing how many of you will go home today and you'll put your Bible in the car and you won't pick it up again until next Sunday. Or you'll put it on a coffee table. Or if you use a, a, um, a smart device, you won't open that app until you know next Sunday. Or unless things get really hectic in your life and there's a tragedy, you might open the Word of God. But friends, I'm going to tell you, if you hope to be close to God in this life, you will not do it apart from the Word of God. Some people are like, man, God never speaks to me. That might be because you don't open the Word of God for your life on a personal, everyday basis. I wrote down a few months ago, if, if Jesus is going to be first in my life, he must be the first appointment that I have every day. Before I do anything, almost every day of the week, before I do anything else, 
I've got an appointment every morning with God and his word. And I get on my knees and I talk to him and I walk with him and I want to know what he wants for my life that day. I want to say to you this morning, and I think what James is saying to us is, is that you will never love the lonely and you'll never have compassion if your life isn't aligned with the word of God. That's really what it comes down to. Because James is going to be breaking us down here in a few moments about, okay, look, you say you're a believer, great. You know the word of God, good. But are you doing it? Are you obeying it? Are you living it out? And what James is doing is moving us from a knowledge-based understanding of the word of God to a, a, a lifestyle of implementing its truths in our lives so that others around us can be impacted, listen to me, so that they can be impacted by the love of Jesus Christ. So what James is doing is he's moving us from the passive to persevering. Some of you will come in here today and you'll hear what's being said and it'll go out one, come in one ear and it'll go out the other. But some of you this morning, something will resonate with you. And the Holy Spirit of God will convict you and challenge you and you'll want to obey what God is teaching you this morning. And James says, James says, you're a doer of the word. And he goes on to say in verse 25, when you look into the perfect law of liberty and you're a doer of the word, listen, listen, he will be blessed in his doing. But he also goes on to say that we're to live informed by the word of God. We've got to live informed by the word of God. Followers of Jesus, we seek to be informed by the word of God to the degree that our lives and values are shaped by the world. And I, I want to ask you this morning, in thinking about the word of God, what is shaping your heart this morning? What is it? What's shaping your values, the things that you love, the things that you pursue, the things that you're interested in? Uh, what is it that, that shapes how you interact with your wife and your, your, your spouse or your husband or your kids or your neighbors or your coworkers? What is it that's informing you and giving you information on how to live this life? And friends, I'm going to tell you so many times, and I've been pastoring now for about 16 years, and I, I, I can tell you, Time after time after time, and I know Mike could do the same, Pastor Mike could do the same, where we've where we stepped into situations with people that have either asked our help or they've involuntarily, uh, we've, uh, you know, we've just stepped into that situation because it needed to be, and we said, hey, this is what the Bible says. And, and I can tell you, many times people say, I don't care what the Bible says. My situation's too hard. My situation's unique. My situation is, 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 is not normal. Blah, 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 right? I'm going to tell you, there is nothing that you will face in your life that the Word of God does not speak into and can't inform you on how to do what is right in that situation. And I think one of the reasons that we have an incredibly difficult time loving our neighbors and forgiving others and speaking in ways that are loving is because we don't have the Word of God in our hearts and in our lives, and it's not shaping our minds. We're more shaped by um, the pop psychology of the day. We're more shaped by... Uh, uh, the blogs that we read and the magazines and the articles and all of the other things in life that, that feed information into our hearts and minds. And listen, we have right now in human history more access to more information in the, in the time of all human history. And guess what? We don't need any of it because we have the Word of God. We have God's Word. And as James approaches verse 26, I want you to see this. He says, if any man thinks he's religious and he does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart and this person's religion is worthless. And I'm sitting here in my notes, but James says, look, if you say you love Christ and you're a follower of Christ, 
but you can't control how you talk to other people. Your religion, what you say you have, is vain. It's useless. It's worthless. And it's likely not even real. That's what he's saying. It's not me. That's James. And then he goes on to say in verse 27, religion that is pure. And what he, what he means here is religion that's authentic, religion that's, that's, that's not a counterfeit. Religion is pure and it's undefiled before God. The Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so what James is doing is he begins to explain a Christianity that it's, that it's, that it's not a religion that, uh, it, he, this is what he's saying, Rel- Christianity is a religion that begins, listen to this, internally, not externally. That's what James is trying to say in this passage of Scripture. And so religion focuses on what you do. Jesus is concerned, listen to me, about who you are. Now, some of you this morning, you, you got the game down. You brought your Bible today, you're in church, um, you say hey to some folks, and um, you're here, right? You're good at playing the game of church. You're good at playing the game of religion, but your heart's not right. Your heart hasn't been informed by the Word of God. Your, your heart hasn't been transformed by the, the truths that are found in this text, and you're harboring bitterness, or you're, you're harboring a lack of love, or on and on and on I could go this morning. And James says, if that's, if that's your scenario, if that's your context, well, you really need to evaluate your life in context and in light of the Word of God. Religion is often so, so often defined by what we do, not who we are. But who we are, listen to this, please hear me on this. Who you are impacts what you do. You leave me by myself apart from God and his word, I would be a crummy husband. I mean, I'm not that great now, but I'd be even worse than I am. I'd be horrible at everything I do because of the the brokenness of my heart and the brokenness of my life at that level. And if God's word didn't impact me and didn't inform me and who I am, man, all I would have is a bunch of behavior modification apart from a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And man, I'm going to tell you, some of you this morning, you're struggling with bitterness, and you're struggling with unforgiveness, and you're struggling with all these other areas in your life, and, 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 and the thought of loving an orphan or a foster kid or someone that's, that's not like you in, in, in a context of prejudice or, or empowering someone in need and, and helping them, that's so far from where you're at right now because you have not been gripped by the grace of God. You've not been gripped by the Word of God, and it hasn't transformed and so. All this book is to you is words on a page because they mean nothing more to you than just a religious duty and a religious thing to do because that's what everyone expects you to do. God help us not to be that people. See, if your heart hasn't been gripped by the love of God demonstrated in the cross of Jesus, you're going to have a hard time loving the orphan. You're going to have a hard time loving the widow and loving the elder and loving the lonely. If the gospel is to be central in our lives, Christ must be the Lord of all, including in our attitudes and in our actions. If Christ is to be Lord of all, man, this is a good place for an amen. If Christ is to be Lord of all, he will be Lord over our attitudes and our actions. How we interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ. How we interact with our spouses. How we interact with our our kids and our coworkers and our neighbors. Man, I'm telling you, if you've been gripped by God's grace and love for you and Jesus on the cross. There's no place for indifference. There's no 
place for unforgiveness. There's no place for a lack of compassion and not seeing the need of others because Jesus, 2,000 years ago, saw my greatest need and he saw your greatest need and he stepped into human form and he came to a cross and he was beaten and he bled and he died and he, he bore the wrath of God and he was buried and three days later, he came back from the dead. And he did that for me and he did it for you. I mean, I don't know about you, but my heart is just gripped by that. And so when someone offends me, I, I, I can't not forgive them. If someone hurts me, I, I can't step into that relationship and treat them the way that I treated Christ before I came to know him. When I see someone in need and someone that's hurting, someone that's been marginalized, I can't help but step into that moment and say, what can I do for you for the love of Christ? Oh man, his love constrains us. You see, the word informs our attitudes and our actions unless we are deceived because we are ignoring and we're just indifferent to the word of God. And I want to ask you, as we finish this out this morning, are you indifferent to the word of God? Just, are you indifferent to it? And if you're not indifferent to it, are you ignoring it? Are you just ignoring what the Bible says for your life and for mine? Because if you have an attitude towards the Word of God where you're intentional about persevering in the Word and allowing it to inform your heart and life, what happens is you'll love intentionally those who are lonely. And that's what James says in this passage of Scripture, religion that is pure and undefiled before God. The Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep one's self unstained from the world. You see, when your life is informed by the Word of God, we will love intentionally. And in the text, James reminds us, uh, reminds us that those who follow Jesus, listen, those who follow Jesus, those who are informed by the word of God, who are, who are not just looking intently but persevering in the word of God, they're going to love those who are lonely. You know, one of the things that I think characterize, that should characterize a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the things that I think characterizes the disciple of Jesus Christ is this, love. And you know, it's sad that in our culture today that most Christians are known for everything they're against. And we're not known for what we're for. And what if we as a church were known for being a people that love others that are different than us? What if, what if, what if, what if Jackson Creek was known as a church that loved orphans and foster kids? What if we were a church that was known for empowering the poor and truly making a dent on the poverty that's in our area? And some would say, well, you know, we don't have a ton of poverty here. According to the Illinois Food Bank, we're in one of the most reddest areas in the entire state because we're surrounded by Money, University Park, Richmond Park, and some other areas that have immense need. And we as a church are in a position to push back that need with the grace of God and the generosity of Jesus Christ. What if we were known for that? What if, what if we were known, not about the show, but we were known to take care of the elderly. Can I get an amen on that? And that's just counterculture because everything in our culture is about youth. And I'm 40 this year, and I'm not, that's not old by any stretch of the means, especially to someone who's 80, right? It's not old. But with that being said, in our culture, we celebrate the celebrity, we celebrate the athlete, we celebrate the young and the youthfulness, and when people get older, what happens? They get pushed aside. What would happen if we as a church, we lived counterculturally? We stepped into that space and said, we're going to love those 
who are forgotten. John said in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. In John, 1 John 3, 14, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we have love for the brothers. And whoever does not love, man, listen to this. Whoever does not love abides in death. One writer said it this way. He says, you know, I don't know a person on earth who doesn't need to know what it feels like to be loved by God. Consequently, each week with the Spirit's help, we're going to take our best shot at it. That should be our calling. We're going to care for those who are forgotten. This is something we can all do. You know, you can't impact everyone, but you can impact someone. And this passage specifically speaks to widows, but, but let's broaden our thinking for a moment, just for a minute. What if we considered this idea of what we would call relational poverty? And you know, we live in a culture today that's so connected yet disconnected. Several years ago, I was at LeaderCast, and I heard Angela Aarons, who at the time was the CEO of Burberry, and now she works for uh, Apple, and she goes, I grew up speaking English, and my kids grew up speaking social. You know, like, we don't really talk to each other anymore. We live in a culture today where, um, and we joke about it, but it's true. We joke about it, but, you know, I don't see my neighbors. I won't see them now for, like, the next four to six months. Like, right? It's cold out. And instead of building front porches, we build back porches because we don't want to interact with anyone because we need our time alone just for us. Yesterday, I was planning on raking the leaves in my yard uh, and taking care of the leaves in our yard. And this, uh, my next-door neighbor said, hey, I'll give you 10 bucks to do that. It's a kid that plays on our basketball team. I said, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. And then afterwards, my wife invited him and his brother over to dinner. And then we invited the parents over for dinner. And they didn't, they didn't come, but it was just spontaneous. And we just felt like, hey, if we're going to live in this neighborhood and we're going to be neighbors to these people... We must open our home to show the love of Jesus Christ. Because we live in a world where people suffer from relational poverty and, 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 and they're surrounded by people, yet they feel very alone. Maybe you've felt this way before. Maybe sitting in a crowded room and, and you feel like you're the only one there. No one notices you. Maybe you work around a lot of people, but you don't even have a close friend. Or maybe you're a college student surrounded by others in a dorm and, 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 and no one talks to you. Maybe you're successful, a successful business leader, and you're, you're at the top of your game, but you have no true friends. And you could be in a dysfunctional marriage. And on the outside, everything appears to be okay, but you're all alone suffering silently in a marriage that's abusive. Maybe you're a child or a teen, and God help us as adults to slow down long enough to look in the eyes of young people and see their need for genuine, authentic, godly relationships. And these young people are at the, the most important times of their lives making decisions that are going to impact their future. And what a difference that it would make if there were some adults that loved them enough to speak faith and speak the word of God into their life. And I know, like, for my kids, um, they hear what i got to say all the time. I get them for an hour every week. Can I get an amen? And I know they don't listen to me on everything I say. But I'm going to tell you, it helps me out a lot when Pastor Mike or John or Clint or, or even some of the other adults take notice of my kids and show them love and speak faith into their life. And that just reaffirms what they're learning. Kids need godly adults in their life. Relational poverty. Many lack the support system to function. They lack love and empathy and support. Someone to listen to and surround, or, and someone to share their story with. And in our culture, there's several reasons for Relational poverty, it's the breakdown of families. We've got blended families in our church. We've got single parents in our church. We've got um, 
increased mobility. People move more now than they ever have in, in, in human history. Heavy workloads. A lot of parents are working. Both parents are working. Some are working 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week. The rise of social media. So how do we love the lonely? What do we do? The first thing is this. Maybe we can love with touch. We love with touch. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, the Bible says that a leper came to Jesus and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you would come, if you will, you can come and you can make me clean. And listen to this. Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, friends, I want to tell you, this man was dying. He had leprosy and he was left uh, untreated. And left untreated, he would die in about 10 years. It started with fatigue and pain in the joints. Scaly spots develop over the body. It's covered with lumps. Those lumps are filled with pus. It's a very disgusting disease. We don't see much of it in our modern world, but it was a very uh, real reality in the time of Christ. When, when a leper would come near, they would scream unclean because they couldn't get near them for fear of being infected by the same uh, uh, disease. Others would tear their clothes and no one would touch them for fear of spreading it. And if you think about it, think about it for a minute. Jesus didn't need to touch this man. Jesus didn't need to lay a hand on him. Jesus simply could have just said, brother, I will be clean. That would have been me. And I know some of you, I see how you do. On Sunday morning when we shake hands after we're done, you line your kids up and you squirt them with antibacterial stuff, you know. I see what you do. Some say, you know, and I, I just shake everyone's hand. I don't care if you got germs or not, because I just I'm trying to build my immune system. <laughs> Jesus reached out and said, Be clean. Jesus didn't need to touch this man. Jesus healed other people by speaking a word. Why do you think Jesus touched him? Perhaps it was because the leopard didn't just need healing from disease, but he needed love for his rejection. There's something about a touch, an appropriate touch, right? That you can just change everything. Just an appropriate touch. Love with touch. Here's another one. Love by listening. Most people don't listen with the intent to understand. I, I struggle with this. It's just all cards on the table. Most of us don't listen to understand. They, they listen with an intent to reply. If you're like that, just say amen today. I see some of you is like nudging your spouse and your neighbor. Like We do that. James says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Let me encourage you this morning. Let me encourage you to focus on being interested, not interesting. Focus on being interested, not interesting. If you're going to love the lonely, don't go in talking about yourself. Go and listen to them. Listen to their story. Hear their story. Walk in their brokenness. Walk in their joy. Walk in their hurt. Walk in their heartache. Sometimes people don't want you to fix something. They just want to be heard, and they simply want you, they simply want to know that someone understands and someone cares. And then here's the last one, love with time. Jesus was always going somewhere, wasn't he? Jesus was always on the go, doing something. But he was never rushed. You ever notice that about Jesus? He was always on time, and he was always where he needed to be at the right time. And that's one of the fascinating things that I think about what I, I mentioned this morning as we introduced the message I hear you guys wrapping up. I got a few more minutes. I got at least five more minutes, so don't close your Bibles quite yet. I'm not, I'm not done, right? But check this. Jesus was never rushed, and in the ordinary milieu of life, he did some of his greatest ministry. It's everyday, normal walk of life. 
And I think sometimes you and I, we forfeit the opportunities, the divine moments of grace that God gives us to minister to others because we're in such a hurry, because we're too busy. Jesus was never too busy to minister to someone in need. Are we too busy? Jesus knew. Now think about this for a minute. I thought about this today. Jesus knew. He knew. He had 33 years to live. And I get stressed out if I know I got two or three things to do on my to-do list that day, right? Like that day, like if I got several things I got to get done, like I, I can just feel the anxiety mounting up and I get wound tight. Jesus knew the moment he'd be betrayed by Judas. He knew when they would uh, scourge him with the cat of nine tails. He knew when they'd place a crown of thorns on his head. He knew the moment, the exact precise moment that they would nail his hands and his feet to a cross. And he knew in eternity past, the very moment that he would breathe his last breath and say, it is finished and give up the ghost. Knew all of that. But yet he was never in a hurry. He was never in a rush. And he lived life to the fullest because he loved other people with the time that he had. And I wonder if we do that, if we love people with the time that we have. So I want to ask you this morning, what if you feel alone? So I want to remind you today, you're not here by accident. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your situation is. Maybe you're struggling with a divorce. Maybe you uh, just got diagnosed with a terminal illness. Maybe you're uh, in a marriage that is just less than best in what you signed up for. Maybe you're facing some financial stuff and you're afraid to tell anyone. Maybe there's a struggle or a sin in your life and you feel all alone. I want you to know this morning that we care about you. We care about you. We love you. And more importantly, God cares about you and God loves you. I want to say this to our church today. Today's message isn't to guilt or shame anyone. That's totally not the intent. But we must have hearts that are informed by the word of God so that we can show the compassion to the individuals that our world forgets about and those individuals that God has called us to love. In God's kingdom, love is intentionally shown to those who are forgotten and marginalized. Jesus never went after the celebrities. Jesus found 12 nondescript men, invested his life in them, and they changed the world. If we were to measure success today, Jesus pastored a church of 12. By our world standards, he would have been a failure. But what Jesus did in investing in those 12 ordinary, nondescript men, he changed the world. Just this uh, past week, I was talking to a man in our church who said that two days after our message on the, um, the, the Good Samaritan, he says, man, I was, it's crazy. It was a God-divine moment. I'm walking into work, and there's this man right in front of the door, face down, blood all over his face. This older gentleman had, had started to walk into work, and somehow or another, he trips. And it's one of those moments, like, do you step over the guy? Do you walk over across the street? Do you sit in your car and wait till someone else comes and, he says, I had in that moment an opportunity to be intentional about applying what God had been speaking to me on that Sunday morning. One of the ladies in our church this uh, past week texted me and said, thank you for encouraging us in the sermon to take care of the elderly and to visit them. We, visit, we went to visit Beverly Kovar last night. She's such an inspiration, and some of you may or may not know her, but Bev Kovar is one of the 
most godly women in our church, and she's prayed. Uh, she's one of the, the mightiest prayer warriors that I personally know. I remember several years ago when her husband was dying, and I'm ashamed to even tell this story, but I was going through a, a very difficult season, and my wife and I said, hey, let's go over and visit Bev, and we went over to her house, and I was sitting in a chair, and uh, she just looked at me, and she goes, you okay? And I just started crying right there in her living room. I said, I'm not. She says, Pastor, let me come over and pray with you. And that woman laid her hand on me, and she says, Lord, I pray that you'd protect our pastor. I pray that you would uh, increase his faith. He's doing a good work, and, and we want to see the, the church grow, and we want to see the church. And this woman just started praying like Jeremiah 33, like all over my life. And I'm thinking, wait a second, I came over to pray with her. So if you don't know, Bev, you should get to know her. She says I, she's such an inspiration. I believe we can learn a lot from her, especially me. She inspires me to be a better person. After, after one night, I just adored her, and I plan on spending more time more one-on-one time with her, and I, I know she can't drive right now, and I'd pick her up every Sunday, but I, I don't think she can get into my truck, but I'm going to try. Maybe we can set something up where people can take turns, take turns. Friends, I want to tell you this morning, that's true religion. It's not anything flashy, and most of the time, being a follower of Jesus Christ means doing those things that no one else sees. It means doing things that other people don't want to do. I said it on the first week, we can't do everything. I can't do everything. Pastor Mike, Pastor John, Clint, Pastor, uh, 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 our other pastors and, and, and those that are in leadership, everyone, not every person can do everything, but listen, we can do something. Investing in someone's life won't change the world, but for that one person, it'll change their world. What are you going to do? With every head bowed and every eye closed. How many of you say to me this morning, Pastor Jason, I know for sure that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I know for sure that I'm forgiven of my sins. And I know that, that, that in my life, I desire to be informed by the word of God and, and to align my heart, my life with the word of God. And I know for sure that I'm a follower of Jesus. Would you just lift your hand and let me see that here this morning? Just lift it up and let me see it today. Amen. Now, how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor Jay, I'm not sh- for certain that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I don't know that I'm forgiven of my sins. I don't even know if I have a relationship with God. And, and surely if I were to die today, I don't know for certain that I'd go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone that's like that that's here today? Anyone at all? Just lift your hand. Now, how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor, I want my life, my heart, my mind. I wanted to be informed by the word of God. In fact, if I were being honest with you today, I've been indifferent to the word of God. In fact, I've even ignored some of the portions of the word of God that God has been speaking to me on. And I want that to change here today. Would you lift your hand? Lift it up high. Lift it up high. Don't be ashamed. Amen. Now, how many would say to me this morning, I want my life to impact others. And I want, to, I want God to use me to step into these spaces, whether it's a, a space of prejudice or orphan or empowering the poor or loving the lonely. I want that to be the story of my life, to serve God in the ordinary and to make a difference with every breath that God has given to me. Would you lift your hand and let me see that here this morning? Well, Father in heaven, you see the hands of these dear folks. We're, we're a team, God serve you together corporately as a church and as individuals and as families and I beg you this morning that you'd help us to be a people that are willing to align our lives and our hearts our actions with the word of God we wouldn't take our cues from this world and that we would love those that are from you, those that are marginalized, those that have been forgotten I pray Lord that our church would be known for loving orphans and 
loving foster kids. And we'd be known for empowering the poor. And we'd be known for loving the forgotten, the lonely, and the rela- those with the relational poverty. I pray, God, that this church would be a visible representation of the love of Jesus Christ. Everywhere we go, I pray that people would know that this is a place where people can be loved by Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you rise to your feet this morning and as we sing the first note of this song,